Hello and welcome to episode number eight of the Motown Philly podcast. I'm Tim Golden. And I'm Jason Hall. And together we are Motown Philly. Jason is from Detroit, the Motor City, Barry Gordy, Motown. I, yours truly, Tim Golden, am from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And together we are Motown Philly. Back here today with episode eight, Jason. You know what that means. That means in two weeks we will have hit double digit episodes. And the next stop is 100. So let's go. 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus 10. We almost there. That's right. That's right. One episode at a time. I want to just take a moment here at the beginning to say thank you so much for all of your support. Jason and I have been checking the analytics regularly. We're getting more downloads and more downloads. And we thank you for taking the time to listen to us and what we have to say about communicating, connection, and community. Please continue to share widely on all of your social media platforms using the hashtag Motown Philly. And we here at Motown Philly are all about communication, connection, and community. Jason, I know you're as grateful as I am for all the support. I am. Um, I'm overjoyed and overwhelmed at times when I look at the statistics and the analytics of how People are downloading us in different um, parts of this country, and even according to the stats, parts of the parts of the world. So that's a really cool thing. And even more importantly, those who are already in our tribe, how they just give us great feedback and um, letting us know what they love and and how that impacts their life, like in the now, in the present. And I think that's just a beautiful thing because at the end of the day, as you and I talk to each other these things that we're talking about, we don't stand in position of knowing at all, but we do stand in position of explore exploration. And as we explore and try to bring out these topics and process them out loud, our, our primary job is to not just process them alone, but to process them with those who are listening to us. So you guys giving us shout outs or trying to reach out to us, tweeting us and, um, with the Motown Philly hashtag and downloading and sharing with your friends and family and those of who this will resonate with. That's, that's just, it's unbelievable. And I'm going to continue to encourage you guys to do that. That's right, Jason. We are, we are grateful. And I know for, for one, this podcast would not be possible without the support of those who listen and who subscribe and download episodes and share them and who helped make us a real force in the podcast space. So we believe our content here is something that you're not going to get any old place in the podcast universe. In fact, we think that we are unique in what we offer, which is a complete view of the human person, not Mm -hmm. only the head, but also the heart. And we're not here to tell you facts over feelings. We're not here to tell you that you should always listen to your heart and do what you feel. We're here to tell you that reason and your emotions work together. And Mm -hmm. that if you want to build a better world, you have to learn how your emotions filter through your communication to develop connection and to help build community. So 
Well said. Well said. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, all those who are listening. And please continue to support us. We deeply appreciate it. We appreciate it more than you know. So, Jason, we're in our final installment of emotional intelligence and communication. And just by way of review thus far, we've looked at self awareness, Mm -hmm. self management, Mm -hmm. social management, and today, uh, social awareness, rather. And today, we want to look at relationship management. Relationship Mm -hmm. management. The first principle that I want us to discuss, Jason, in relationship management is developing and maintaining good relationships. Mm. What comes to mind when you think of developing and maintaining good relationships, Jason? So I'm on the principle mind of often having to remind myself that as humans, we are built for relationship. That means when we came in this world, two people in some relationship typically came together and birthed another human being. And from that episode and that experience, a life is born and that life needs another uh, a caring and nurturing life form, preferably two if possible, um, but it doesn't have to be necessarily one, but preferably two, of course. And, and that, that child grows up in relationship with uh, the parents or the nurturers who are involved in their lives and it helps to rear them. So I think we are relational human beings at our core. And sometimes our experience doesn't necessarily lend to that, but uh, to answer you plainly, we're just, this is how we're wired. If, if we are relational beings, as you say we are, mm-hmm. then we have to rethink some of the most fundamental assumptions mm. of Western thought. Because okay. one of those fundamental assumptions is this notion of the individual as separated from society who is autonomous, who is free, who is responsible, who has certain traits like dignity and is worthy of other traits like respect. And that model of thinking about the human person is what I wanna put into tension with what you've described as the relational core of our humanity. If we are built for relationship, as you say we are, and I tend to agree with you, mm-hmm. what are the implications of that for this rugged sort of robust individualism that lies at the core of how Western thought has seen human, human beings? In other words, when we speak about human beings, we speak of rights. We speak of individual rights and dignity. And we speak of people being worthy of respect. And we, we speak of people being free. And I'm wondering how that coexists with the inherently social nature of human beings 
that you just articulated. I, I am one to think, Jason, that independence is a myth. Mm-hmm. And that independence is a myth that is fundamentally associated with this notion of a self that is free, autonomous, responsible, and completely independent of others. Because from the cradle to the grave, from the womb to the tomb, we depend on other people. Even the fiercest, most successful, individual-oriented entrepreneur depends on others, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? If you decide to do an endeavor and I'm gonna do this all, these are the phrases that we often hear, on my own, I'll go it alone, Mm -hmm. I'll do it my way. Fine, you can do it your way, but if you're going to do something, whatever it is, you are going to inherently be dependent on other people. How about, how about? How about bootstraps? Pull myself up by my own right. bootstraps. Exactly, exactly. And that's all part of this mythology of an individual that does not need others. When it's plainly the case that we do need one another. Now, what you might say is that our dependence on one another in adult life assumes a different form from our dependence on our parents in infancy, right? Mm -hmm. When we are infants, we need our parents to change us, to to feed us, et cetera. And then in our adult lives, we typically don't need that unless we live long enough. And the old saying is once a man, twice a child, sometimes at the end of life, we revert to a condition in which we still need people to change and feed us if we live long enough. Right. And, and everywhere in between, if we're going to develop, if we're going to be emotionally intelligent and use that emotional intelligence to communicate, connect, and build community, we have to understand that developing and maintaining good relationships is at the foundation of that which means we have to rethink what it means to be an individual. And, and we have to make space for others in our lives because we're structured that way. Yeah, I, I think there is a there should be a healthy tension in like trying your best to, to navigate what is what is independence what is relational, what is even codependence. Like if you're, if you're too independent, that's no man is an island. That's unhealthy. If you're just like, okay, Tim, let's be relational. And I'm going to depend on somebody at fault, meaning that, um, I don't know if I'm, if I'm a child growing up, um, you have to, how, when do I, when do I wean away, if you will, from my, from my parents, you have culture, you have, you have, I don't know, maybe trauma that binds individuals uh, together. How much, how much relationship or how much, how relational can I be? I think there's oftentimes a teetering or an understanding, an awareness of understanding both, both spectrums or both sides to understand where, where's my most healthiest place in, 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 in governing myself in relationship, you know, am I relying on someone too much in my, especially in my adulthood, uh, 
whether it's friend, whether it's a, a, a partner, whether it's a parent, it's a, it's something that you have, we have to learn how to navigate in a way that, that lends for evolution, growth, um, and just learning, healthy learning. That's right. So there's a balance to be struck, right, Jason? Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. don't want to be, we don't want to give in to the myth of independence, but we also don't want to become the burden of codependence, mm -hmm. right? I, I, you, there are certain things for which you should never depend upon others. You should never depend upon others for your sense of self-worth. For example, that's good. that's good. You should never depend upon others for your sense of self-esteem. If you live like that, you're always living from the outside in, expecting from others what you can really only get from yourself. And as we've said before, you give those things to yourself, not so that you can be an end, but so that you can be a means to the end of better, a better communication, better connection, and better community. So this business of developing and maintaining good relationships is important because the, we are relational beings at our core, and we have to maintain good relationships. We have to develop them because if we don't, we're sort of out of step with who we're intended to be as as human beings true so true i love that i don't i i mean i think you you've summed it up pretty pretty well i just believe the knowledge of understanding where one where one begins and ends in relationship to where the other person begins and ends understanding boundaries not just physically although that's important but also emotionally and uh, even psychologically. And I think once you become aware of those type of parameters, you move better. Just do. Mm -hmm. Good. That's right. That's right. So listen, an emotionally intelligent person is able to develop and maintain good relationships. An emotionally intelligent person is also able to communicate clearly communicate clearly. That sounds simple enough, Jason, communicate clearly. But sometimes can our emotions get in the way of clear communication? And if, 1, so, if so, how does that happen, Jason? Um, that's a loaded question. But I like I like it in the fact that <sighs> This is like the crux. I'm, I, you can't see me rocking the cradle right now, but this is for me, it's, a it's the crux of where your intellect intersects uh, in a hypersensitive way with like the filtration system that I use as a metaphor before, like that liver. And you mentioned how how does one emotionally balance that particular uh, that particular idea of maintaining what maintaining to yourself what is good, what is true, 
what what is what has virtue that comes out of your mouth so that you don't escalate you know emotion when your emotions are involved and you're talking about something that you're passionate about you can easily go to a place where your intellect your intellect fades or it wanes as far as what how you want to govern yourself what you say yes that's a deed in my actions or and or what you do if you're not in control and if you're not emotionally intelligent mind you that this this po- this particular podcast for the last 3 including this session is about emotional how you how you weigh how you decide what you will do and or say based on weighing in a very responsive responsive way what your feelings are saying and what your what your rationale your cognitive rationale your log the the reason is saying and having those things manifest in a in a good way as it comes out of you verbally or even physically but the point to answer your question it can be if you're not emotionally intelligent it's hard to really manage your your emotions when you're faced up against situations that are that can be taxing that can be stressful yeah i like that i think that communicating clearly has as much to do with the when and the what that you communicate as it does with the how of your communication do you communicate by text when maybe what's required is a conversation Do you communicate how you're feeling when the person to whom you're communicating it may not be in a position emotionally themselves to receive what you are communicating? These are questions that I think we've addressed in the context of Mm self-awareness. If you go back a few episodes, Those who are listening, you'll know that Jason and I spent a lot of time talking about self-awareness and a part of self-awareness is this business of empathetic communication. Mm -hmm. If I just got some really good news and I have a friend who's going through something, they may not necessarily be up for receiving what I have to say. So if I'm going to have clarity of communication with that person, remember now, all of this is directed toward the idea of another person, right? So the the other, another person is always assumed in, in these conversations that Jason and I are having. And Jason, I think that if, if you're going to communicate clearly, it means that you have to be attentive not only to what you are saying, but to, not only to how you are saying what you're saying, but what you are saying and why you are saying it and when you are saying it. And to whom you are and, saying and it. And to whom, that's right, exactly, thank you. And to whom you are saying it, because all of those questions together are going to give you the answer as to what clear communication is in your circumstance. You, you said that well. Um, 
And I think we're, we're just scratching the surface of that. Like, I guess when, as my, from my explanation, it was purely understanding the self first. Like you're going to communicate to that person. And if you're going to communicate well to that person, you need to understand how to manage you. Cause you don't know, depending on what the situation is, your job, main job is to be clear in speech. So if you're emotional or not, you often have to consider yourself as you begin to open up your mouth and express. So clarity is not, can be multi, manifold, if you will, can come in many ways of me being a speech language pathologist, making sure that the, your articulation is clear. Like that's like, that's, that's one on one, one oh one uh, clarity, if you will, like the production, the oral motor mechanism, if you will, is, is not inhibited in any way. Like you shouldn't have a conversation if you're, if you're slurry of speech, if you're inebriated or, or drunk and things that like that, that's just like a functional way that, or practical way when it comes to, well, sometimes if you can't help it, if you just need to articulate, but the point is, that's one way, but there's often other ways because you communicate. How are you communicating? Are you sending mixed messages with what you're saying and the body language that you're that you're also demonstrating or expressing at the same time? You're sending mixed mixed messages if you're if your body language doesn't match up with what you're actually saying out of your mouth. Then you have tone. So this is then now we're getting right down the alley right down my lane of who I am and what I do on a daily basis as a communication skills coach. Like you have to go through the nuances of expressive communication and how, how you are to, the, to whom uh, you're speaking to, that audience of yours. And to be clear in, in the conscious way, or maybe if you do it well, maybe in an unconscious way, you, you're mindful of all those things or you should be. Well said, Jason. I think that we're not going to get very far if we don't consider that communication is not just verbal. Mm -hmm. That communication has to do so much with all of the nuances that you just referenced. Yeah. Your body language, your facial expressions, your gestures, your mm -hmm. hand gestures. And if a person can't see those things, and you say, well, I would rather text. Now you have to question the authenticity of that communication. And if you're trying to build and maintain good relationships and communicate clearly, do you really want to reduce your communication to a modality that only constitutes about 15% of communication because the other 85% is nonverbal? True. Is, is that what we want to do? And these are questions that only the individual is going to be able to answer because you know what your motives are. Right, yeah. When you communicate. Yeah, it, it definitely just depends on, like as you and I are talking, we're probably talking about more intense conversations, more highlight, but they, they're, they're, I think in general, what we're stating is like, depends on the situation, depends on the person, but if, if they're, they're really important conversations. A lot of a lot of thought should go into, a lot of thought and care should go into what you're saying and how you're saying it and who you're saying it to. That's right, Jason. Because those are the things 
that are going to help us develop and maintain good relationships. So it seems that the first two emotional intelligence skills of relationship management go together, that developing and maintaining good relationships implies that one will commit to clear communication. And that means accounting for communication in all of its dimensions, verbal and otherwise. So those things are, are really important. The next thing I wanna talk about, I want us to talk about Jason is inspiring and influencing others. An emotionally intelligent person has effective relationship management by inspiring and influencing others. You know what strikes me about this, Jason, is exactly. that inspiring is a positive thing and influencing is neutral. You can be an influence for good and you can be an influence for bad. Arguably though, in this context, if you're going to inspire, the word influence here, the way it's paired up with inspire suggests that you will influence people for good. But we need to keep in mind that we can be an influence for good or bad. Mm -hmm. and, and what I love about the use of this word inspire is that part of its etymology is the word spirit. And not only are we relational beings, mm. we are spiritual beings. Right. That is to say, each of us has a spirit. There is something in each one of us as human beings that lifts us, that motivates us, that prompts us to get out of bed in the morning. And what I see when I think about inspiring and influencing others is that an emotionally intelligent person in their relation, in managing their relationships will look for ways or find ways to be an influence for good and to appeal to the spiritual aspects of the person with whom they are in relationship, whatever that relationship may be. It's, it's such a joy, I think, to be in relationship with someone who inspires us, right. to know someone who inspires us. And that I think is, is something that if we, if we consider it, we can really make a lot of headway in our emotional and relational lives. Tim, I really, I, I believe too, and it's, there's a thought process as I think about what you're saying that I think I see that's present in you, um, to me as a friend. And as much as we um, get on this particular podcast and we talk about these topics, we don't want to, I don't want us always to, to think or our listeners to think that we're being academic because we can be, because we, we've studied, we've researched, we've had experience, but one of the primary experiences is that we, what experiences that we have in relationships with, with each other, Tim, specifically being um, a very close friend and brother. And the fact that as I do life on a daily basis, Tim is a part of that life in some way, shape or form, 
either through text or through actual conversation or Zoom call like um, we can do from time to time, but always in our conversation. And I do not, I do not exaggerate, but always in our conversation, I leave from the interaction and as a better human being because Tim has encouraged me and inspired me to continue to grow and be better than I am today. Uh, I often uh, talk about Kobe Bryant and you're probably gonna hear some analogies as you listen to us that often deal with sports um, because Motown Philly, uh, these are two very sports, sports in heavily involved cities. And we are passionate, but Kobe Bryant, who was from Philly uh, originally, um, and he went by saying is, is of course the Mamba mentality. And some of that is just like, just wanting to be better today than you were yesterday. And Tim embodies a lot of that, if not all of that, as he, go, as he goes into, as he, as he deals in relationship, like Tim has many areas in his life, whether he's acting, Tim, whether he's uh, being a professor, whether he's uh, doubling down as being um, a PhD and one who has to do research and things of that nature. Let me tell you this story. Tim went to this past Monday, Sunday and Monday, he went to Portland. And I'm going to talk about you, Tim. He went to Portland to do a reading as, uh, as he does as he as he is a thespian and does acting on the side he's an actor okay and he does theater so he did went for a reading and uh, i believe it was an august wilson play and he loves it and talking for him as if he's not here but he, he did that thing he, you guys wouldn't know it if i didn't tell it he wouldn't say it maybe and he did his reading he, he played this primary role and he talks to me about it and i'm like so how did you do and he's like bro you know, not to toot my own horn, but I killed it. <laughs> and, um, or he just said they loved it. They really enjoyed it. The, the director, the, the people who were there, who were reading as well, the potential actors, uh, they, they all enjoyed it. And they said I was great and they were great too. So I said, so what are you doing now? And he's like, well, I'm looking up something because uh, I'm going to, so he drove home to Walla Walla said, I'm currently looking up a class where I can take um, to study more, to get, in, to get inside this acting class and to learn even more information. I said, bro, you just said you killed it. You didn't say you sucked. He's like, yeah, I know. And I, was, I said, it's just great to understand that you just said you killed it at this screen reading. And you went home, drove home over two hours, two and a half hours, three hours, and said you were currently enrolling yourself in an acting class to grow and get better. If that's not inspirational, I don't know what is. And that's just a, that's just a small example. So Tim embodies that. And I love uh, doing life with Tim and individuals like Tim that I have in my life that are close to me are very similar to Tim. And I draw inspiration for individuals who are emotionally intelligent and intelligent in that way. Wow, Jason. I don't know what to say, man, except true. thank you. I, I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that, man, and I'm I'm grateful. I I believe that my 
my friends, the people closest to me in this life deserve the best that I can give them. And the last thing I want to do is drain my relationships of all manner of goodness by making demands on people that they were not built to satisfy. It's not your job to make me feel good about myself. But if I feel good about myself, I can help you feel better about yourself. And so I wanna feel good about myself, not because I'm so spectacular, but because I know if I feel good about what I'm doing, that is going to ooze out of my pores and spill over into the lives of people who I love like Jason Hall. So I do what I do for others. I believe that I have certain, a certain vocation in my life, a certain calling and the calling that I have is not just for me to be my best so that I can pound my chest and say, look at me, look how great I am. That has actually nothing at all to do with it. It is so that I can be a blessing to my neighbor, mm -hmm. to the friend, to my friends, to strangers, to whomever I come into contact with. And I just want to thank you, Jason, for saying everything you said. And I hope that I will continue to inspire others who I know in, in my life and that I will be able to show them love by helping them to see that what I am doing is possible for them too. And I, I owe that to others because that's my calling. So it's real, and, real, bro. It's real. Yeah. So, so, so thank you, Jason. I'm, I'm really flattered by that. And I appreciate that. I, I no that's that's all that's all that all goes back to you I, I believe to sum up this 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 particular area of emotional intelligence and how we communicate it when it when it deals with inspiration it's what you said it's to go to wake up each morning with a mindset not only of yourself but to have I guess the other side of you, the other side of the coin, uh, be it a mindset of others, other centered, you know, it's kind of a selfless mindset of, of service, of wanting to know that I want that other person, that next person, the other person on the other side of me to be a better version of themselves when they come into contact with me. And that's just a graceful way to walk. That's a graceful way uh, a compassionate way to do life. I, I want what's best for you, even if it has to, even if I have to inspire it out of my bosom, I want what's best for you. And if I die tonight, hopefully I gave you what was inside me at that time that helps you to be a better person so that you can share that with somebody else. That's what that's and, about. And if I am, if I do die, and if I am gone, then maybe, just maybe, I have inspired, I have lived a, a life so inspiring that even when I'm dead, others can be brought back to life. Mm, that okay. others can, you, you achieve a certain level of immortality when your emotional intelligence is high enough to inspire others in the context of relationship management 
in ways that even when you are not absent, you are present. This right. is a this is a sort of this is a sort of miracle, just like in self-awareness, we talked about how when you share, you are dividing, but you are also multiplying, right? right. There's a mathematical miracle at work there, and there's a metaphysical miracle at work here that uh, a one who lives a life that is inspiring enough, even after they're gone, take Martin Luther King, for instance, or James Baldwin, or uh, or Barbara Jordan, or Shirley Chisholm, or Ida B. Wells, or any of the great African-American leaders, for example, they're dead. Everybody I just mentioned is dead, but we still talk about them. Why? Because they lived well. Mm -hmm because they lived lives of inspiration. They lived lives that appealed to the human spirit. And I'm gonna have to move to the next subject, Jason, because I'm ready to stand up and start <laughs> running around my house in a second. True, so true. I, I'm just grateful that we're able to share that together. And, and I thank you for, for what you just said. So, the other thing we have to do, if we're going to be emotionally intelligent, Jason, in, our, in terms of our relationship management, is that we have to be able to work well in a team. Here we come back to this individual tension again. People like to do things on their own, so to speak. But doing something on your own is a myth because even if you work by yourself, in scare quotes, you're still dependent on a variety of other things and people in order to get the job done. And when I think about working well in a team, I think about the human body, Jason. Mm -hmm. Suppose the brain told the heart, you know what, you need to know what it feels like to go without me for a day. Mm. Mm -mm. and shuts down you would die if the heart said i'm tired of being taken for granted right. and you went to the brain and you act like you're smarter than me so i'm gonna I'm take off today and stop working you'd have a heart attack and right. you die if your feet said i'm tired of being on the bottom and want to be on the top and i want to be rearranged with the head then you wouldn't be able to walk or get very far so when the body doesn't work together the way it's supposed to, we call that a state of physical disease, mm -hmm. dis-ease. Mm -hmm. What are the kinds of emotional diseases that we find when people are unable to work together as a team? So when individuals come together and they try to figure a pathway forward Tim, and they're not on the same page conflict ensues right and it's only filtered through your emotional intelligence some skill hopefully on both sides or multiple sides to to negotiate a better pathway forward like and if that's not there con you will remain in conflict um 
and the team will cease to be the team that it needs to be in order to complete its mission, its vision, and its set goals, long-term or short-term. Wow, that is something. <laughs> because, it listen, if the, <laughs> if the body breaks down and dies, because its constituent parts are in conflict with one another mm -hmm. because the brain is stepping out of its lane mm -hmm. or because the heart is stepping out of its lane or because the brain or the heart feels slighted mm -hmm. in some way or the feet feel slighted in some way everything the whole system breaks down and dies yeah and that's the same way it works with the team that if you have a group assignment and you're supposed to do your part of the assignment, but you don't like the part you got assigned because you want to get the other part because that's the part you want to get credit for. <laughs> or you had a certain agenda. Now, here you go. You just made a point. Conflict ensues, mm -hmm. right? And when conflict ensues, how do you how do you manage that? I don't want to jump ahead, but that's our last topic for this episode. But the inability to work well in a team suggests that your commitment to individualism, that one's commitment to individualism is more important than one's sense of community. And if your desire for individual success is greater than or outdistances the success of the community, then the community like the human body is gonna lay down and die because it just can't do anymore with the conflict that out of control. And, mm -hmm. and I, so I think there's a, there's a lesson to be learned there. I just think so when when we think of team guys i believe it's basically of course anything greater than yourself so a team correct me if i'm wrong tim can be two people absolutely and so it can start with a couple and it can if you can just keep it at a very fundamental level couples can often find themselves even though they call themselves a couple not really being a couple or not really being a team. And when one or two of the individuals in the relationship is are not working for collaborative togetherness and seemingly individual thoughts, perspectives and ideas often tend to emerge or to, to come up and there's no resolution or no common ground or a, a, a collective figuring out, if you will, like you're always gonna be in conflict as a couple uh, and, and as a team, uh, if you wanna have multiple people as a part of one particular, one, like a team, like it, it just totally, what a team is, is what like maybe the definition of a team needs to be, needs to be like fleshed out, but, Mm -hmm. I see when I think of a team, it's it's it is a group of individuals 
more than one, so two or more, moving together as one to accomplish a mission and or achieve a goal. So I like that phrase you just used, as one. You can't work well on a team if you're willing to sacrifice unity. Mm, a, a unity of purpose translates into a unity of action, which leads to a unity of success. Yeah, I love that. But if you if you can never put unity ahead of your own interests then you're not going to get very far the team will fall apart and die in the same way the body will fall apart and die if the heart says to, to the body you know what i'm gonna take my ball and go home <laughs> you you can't work the body can't work without the heart and see that's the that's the part that I think we need to drive home. The team can't really function without you. You are part of the team. All right. But the team has to, you, your presence on the team is not a presence for your individual pursuits. It's your presence as necessary for the benefit of the team. So if you extract yourself from the team, the team can fall apart. Right. And that's not what we want. Or, or if you're in the team doing your own thing while being in the midst of a team and, you know, you're, you, the team still won't, won't complete its goal and its mission. That's right. That's right. The team still will not complete its goal or its mission. So this is, this is, a, this is a difficult one because there's a lot of cliches that come to mind. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Mm. I know a lot of people who go to graduate school and say things like, I hate group projects because yep. you work with people and you're supposed to work in a group and people don't do what they're supposed to do. And then it makes the whole group look bad. And mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to emotional intelligence, it's important to understand that you have a role to play. I work at a university. Mm -hmm. And my role in that university system is to teach philosophy, to produce scholarship in philosophy, and to render service to the university in terms of governance on university-wide committees and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And outside of the school, I have responsibilities to carry myself in a certain professional manner to make sure that I'm active and building up community wherever I can. And this is the kind of thing that I'm supposed to do. But if I walked in tomorrow and I just walked into the president's office and started sending out emails from his email account and said, you know, I think this is what I ought to be doing here, that would needless to say, disrupt the team, right? Mm -hmm. So part of working well in a team is the emotional understanding. That's an interesting phrase, emotional mm -hmm. understanding. I love that. That 
I have to stay in my lane. Yeah. Because if I stay in my lane, that you know, it's my lane for a reason. Maybe it's my lane because I'm especially good at what I do and no one else can do what I do. And I have to respect that other folks are doing what they can do in what they're doing because they're good at what they do. And if everybody does that together, then we can have success. Yeah. And that from what you said, it's just to kind of take the ball a little farther. If it actually see, it's not like it actually needs to, but just saying like when the team, I think what is crucial is, and this is the general hope when the team is forming, everybody is in the mindset of what a team is and how a team should function. Because whether it's two people or more, if you don't understand what team what playing as a team looks like, feels like, and 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 functions like, like you shouldn't be, <laughs> you shouldn't be on the team, or that, or, the, or there needs to be an evaluation process. Or you you would think, or you would hope. Um, I don't know. Like to be a team, there needs to be like mindedness. It just does. A like-mindedness, a like-mindedness to to move gracefully and, and and to be successful and to be sacrificial. There's a lot of stuff that goes into what a good team looks like. Jason, I think we could do a whole podcast episode on any one of these subjects. Yeah, I love it. My goodness, especially this last one. What's the last one, Jake? So, so what have we done so far? Just to recap, we talked about developing and maintaining good relationships communicating clearly, inspiring and influencing others, working well in a team. And the last thing that an emotionally intelligent person does well in managing their relationships is managing conflict. Here's what strikes me about this one. It doesn't say avoiding conflict. It says managing conflict. I think that the social core of who we are, as you so nicely pointed out earlier, exists in each of us, but that comes with certain pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Now we're mm-hmm. back to vulnerability, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That to be social is to be vulnerable. And if you think you can absent yourself from social life, you're now operating in an autoimmune modality where you are doing yourself harm when you think you're doing yourself good. Right. Right. right because right. you're you're acting in a manner in you're, you're unwilling to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to be vulnerable as social, if we, if we are social beings, that means we're going to have to be in relationship with others. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be in relationship with others, that means we're going to have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to do things we don't like. And one of the things we don't like doing is managing conflict. There are a lot of personality types that would rather just avoid conflict altogether and not even think about it. But that's not realistic. Mm-mm. What's How do we effectively manage conflict, Jason, in relationships? So conflict to me, Tim... Is, is a can of worms and especially to understand how you manage it. Like there's, you, I think you have to have a healthy mindset to manage it, at least strive for healthiness. Like you said, as, as a human being and we're relational, 
and we if we choose to have to be in relationship we have to understand that inherent to individuals who are relational is going to come some breakdown of communication some breakdown of understanding each other and in knowing that you have to have these parameters or self-awareness about you to understand that there because i know that there's going to be breakdown how i approach this person on the other side of me needs to get, be calculated um, to some on some level in order to see how we manage our conflict and i believe it the one of the ways to manage conflict is to first understand that conflict will arise and if you if you have that awareness and to understand that conflict will arise i think you're already winning at least you have a head start or at least you have you are in the ballpark of understanding that we can still do relationship together but we are most certainly going to have to deal with the proverbial elephant in the room sometimes in relationship we think that when we have conflict we are out of relationship or something is wrong with relationship or we shouldn't be in relationship because there is conflict no 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 it's to understand because relationship is what it is we are like you said not to avoid conflict because it's going to be there you can't you can't avoid it you so therefore you need to learn to management and the first step in managing it is understanding that it's i got two good points on that understanding that it will arise and number two understanding that hard conversations is a part of relationship and i think that 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 phraseology alone can be a, its own topic when it comes to uh having a podcast title how to do hard conversations let's pencil that down and write about it how to do hard conversations is a form of approaching the management of how do I talk about what is difficult and continue to move past it or problem solve it or adjust so I can we can do relationship better. Wow, that's that's a lot to process. That's a lot. It is. It is. <laughs> I I got I got ready to avoid some conflict just listening to the latter part of what you just said mm. you are difficult conversations are part of relationship i'm like well i don't want to be in relationship <laughs> with nobody so here i go moving in an autoimmune direction trying to protect myself but i end up doing myself harm because i'm dehumanizing myself mm -hmm. we need relationship with others and a relationship will inevitably bring some sort of conflict. Mm -hmm. it, so one of the things I try to do to add to what you just said, and what you just said was so powerful, it's difficult to add to it, but I'll, I'll take a shot. And I would say, I try, in addition to those two things, to always be prepared for conflict, not that I anticipate it, not that I induce it or encourage it, but to be prepared for when it comes by maintaining an attitude of humility and introspection. Mm -hmm. Understanding that I am fallible, 
that mm -hmm. I am a social being by nature, mm -hmm. but that I am also prone to error. I'm mm -hmm. prone to mistakes. I'm about as imperfect as imperfect can be. And if I'm aware of that, if I maintain an attitude of awareness about that, again, not encouraging conflict or inducing conflict or, or trying to cause it, but if I have a general awareness of my own fallibility mm -hmm. and a general sense that it is, it is likely that I can and will be wrong or can and will do things that will maybe cause hurt to another person, Mm -hmm. or maybe not healthy for the relationship. If I'm already, if I've already prepared myself with an awareness of my own fallibility, then managing the conflict becomes easier because it's much easier for me to say, okay, there's a conflict here did I do something wrong? And if I did do something wrong, what is it? And I don't want to give one of those half-hearted whack apologies like, I I'm sorry that you feel hurt. No, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Right. Right. Uh -huh. And and so I think, boy, this is a can of worms. We could do yeah. a whole show on conflict resolution. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. And Table. conflict Table. management. But one of the things... <laughs> One of the things I try to do is to just say, well, I have to be prepared. And conflict doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong. Conflict could be a scheduling conflict. Mm -hmm. It could be a scheduling conflict related to two events that are in conflict with one another and both of which are terribly important to each individual, mm -hmm. right? It could be a scheduling conflict. And so I think we have to sort of prepare ourselves with humility in addition to understanding that conflict is unavoidable. And Jason, I don't know about you, but I'm tired just talking about <laughs> shit management. So I know that actually doing this is hard work. And again, folks, Jason and I, we don't have all the answers. Nope. You, you listen to us. We have conversations about these things. What we are hoping is that as you listen to us, you start to think of ways to maybe apply some of these principles in your own life and that you start to self-reflect and say, mm -hmm. you know, what can I do to be a better, to be more emotionally intelligent in the management of my relationships? How can I inspire others more? How can I contribute to communicating clearly and maintaining good relationships? Do I work well in teams? Do I manage conflict well? We're mm -hmm. all stumbling through this life together. Mm -hmm. And here at Motown Philly, we're not perfect and we don't have all the answers. But Jason, I say it all the time. We do hope that we, we're asking the right questions. Right. Well, I love that. No, I mean, we don't have all the answers. I love talking about these things because even though we bring up these as, as, as topics to kind of to be, you know, have some some platform to express about like it really helps me these these conversations helps me to be a better person because it helps me to be mindful of something that I might be falling or coming short up in uh, and like I said early kind of earlier um, in reference to to Kobe like I, I do want to be better 
today than I was yesterday. And having this emotional intelligence or this awareness of how to, if you will, yield or wield or, or the, the proverbial wand of saying, you know, this is how I can move better as, as me in relation to you or any other yous that might be listening. I just think my life, my quality of life can be better. And not just mine, hopefully the person that I'm in connection with or influence over, it can also, it can also be better. Wow, Jason. Wow. That's a great way to put a wrap on our four-part series on emotional intelligence and communication. Jason and I hope that you've been listening along. And Jason, where can folks find you on social media? You guys can find me at the speakers mechanic on ig if you're looking for me on linkedin to do some coaching as i am a communication skills coach for entrepreneurs and professionals i help you speak confidently and clearly so that you can go in any room and speak boldly you can find me on ig at jason hall and uh tim what about you where can we find you you can find me on twitter at dr TJ Golden ESQ at DRTJ Golden ESQ. You can find me on Instagram at a good golden man. And last but not least, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden. Three things are certain in this life death, taxes, and I am the only Black person who lives in Walla Walla, Washington, named Tim Golden. So if you go on <laughs> Facebook and you search for Tim Golden Walla Walla, you'll find me there. Jason, I think we have another good topic coming up for our listeners in episode mm -hmm. nine. Mm -hmm. It is the topic of belonging. Yes. Place is connected to purpose. You don't put a cigarette bowl as a, you don't put a cereal bowl, I'm sorry, you don't use a cereal bowl as a door stopper and you don't pour your soup on top of a door stopper. You put your soup in a bowl and you use the door stopper to stop the door from closing. Your location is an indication, can be an indication of your purpose. If things have purposes and places, why don't people have things and places? I think people do have things and places. And the question is, what is your place and where are you? And Hello. so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in episode nine next week. Belong. But for now, thank you all for listening and we will see you in seven days. In seven days. See you good people. We love you. Love you, chick. Yeah. Love you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs>